listening to Sound in Process, an exploration of the artists of lines. It's been a bit since our last episode. I'm really happy and humbled to be sharing this one with y'all. About a month ago, I stumbled on a treasure trove of recordings in a web repository at zbs.fm. These uniquely playful and far-reaching captures come from Z, a non-binary musician and athlete at Nottatuck on the Connecticut River. The recordings are bursting with exploratory energy, and I was just so compelled to learn more about the processes and experiences that led to such a warm and open collection of music. We had such a lovely chat, so I'm pleased to present Sound and Process, episode 22, with Z. start things off? Yeah, so I, I came up in a pretty non-artistic family, I would say. My dad kind of played the bass, um, and I thought that was really cool. He played in a couple bands when I was little. Um, but we listened to a lot of music when I was growing up. A lot of the Indigo Girls, a lot of R.E.M., a whole lot of kind of the like 80s and 90s kind of like folksy rock stuff was like our big thing. So I kind of was raised on that. And also my dad listened to a lot of progressive rock and psych rock and stuff. So I was totally in the like guitar, kind of guitar world, like rock band instrumentation world for a really long time when I was little. Um, yeah, and then my, my I really wanted to start playing the bass. I just thought that was really cool when I was like 13. And my dad kept telling me that I should learn the guitar first. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I want to just play the bass. So then he bought me a guitar, um, a very cheap guitar to shut me up, I think. Um, and I was like, well, okay, okay, fine. So I still have that guitar. I'm looking at it right now. It's in the corner of my room. Um, it's like a $100 random guitar. But um, yeah, so I just, I started like really seriously playing guitar like right away. I totally fell in love with it. I wrote a lot of singer-songwriter kind of folksy stuff. I released an album of that in um 2017 or like a short album i just had no idea what i was doing with the recording which was really fun it was totally like an experiential i just like recorded some stuff like i thought it might like maybe this is how you do it i don't know i'm just gonna do it you know mm. i started like experimenting a little bit i was like huh like i kind of want to like add to this i didn't even know like what a synth was really or like I just kind of knew that they existed and that people used them in big studios and that's kind of all I all I had. I just like decided I would try to make even given this like total lack of knowledge of synthesizers, I tried to make like a little house song and um I ended up using Reaper and I just like recorded a bunch of electric guitar and like stretched the shit out of it and like down tuned it and just did all this crazy stuff and it ended up sounding super synthetic and it's this very that turned into a song called Gaslight Chandelier it's on my second album um that was so much fun I like made the kick drum by just like pounding on the table that the mic was sitting on. Like the snare drum was me like hitting a jar with a spoon or something. It was just a whole bunch of stuff like in my bedroom.
imagine how you fill in the gaps when it comes to like, oh yeah, you know, now you have a guitar. And there are so many resources to just contextualize. And, and experimentation is more along the lines of finding out what other people have done and just trying it yourself because it's all pretty well documented. Um, but I, I think it's interesting to be jumping into recording and like, I don't know, Reaper is a very opinionated thing to have in your arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> How did you find your way to that environment? Or like doing things like, oh yeah, jar with the spoon is my snare. Yeah, so I think uh, I had a couple friends in in school who were like serious music geeks. Like they uh, like went immediately to Berkeley after school and like you know went on to have a recording studio. And they, I just remember like one of them mentioning Reaper, like because he was like mixing something at school or something when we were like fifteen. And then when I wanted to record something, I was like, oh, like Reaper, like kind of remember that name. And I was like, oh, it's like got a free trial. I'll just do it. And so I, I just kind of fell into it early. And as far as like recording sounds and stuff, I don't really know what possessed me to use so much like found sound and uh, kind of stretching my like the stuff I had to its limits. I think I just wanted to make something with a very particular sound and I knew I didn't have the right things to do it. So but I just wanted to try it anyway. Yeah. And so I like just had a cheap USB mic recorded this this stuff and like filtered it, just put it put it in the arrangement. Yeah, I love the idea of being motivated to fill in the gaps with just what you have at hand. Yeah, I think that there's something really special that I've I've like I have a lot of feelings and I've had a lot of feelings about that time period over the years of like I think I had so much songwriting energy in me like I just like knew exactly what I wanted and I could just like write this album I like knew what needed to go where I just like had it in my head and I think there's a big part of me that still thinks that synthesizers and kind of the whole modular thing which I'm very into now get in the way of that somehow um and it's a it's a very interesting yeah balancing act you said they get in the way of that yeah, I think there was something about having extremely limited tools and just, I just like was writing guitar songs and I was like, oh, what if this like had a kick drum? And like, I don't know, I just, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. There was some difference. I think that the intrigue of modular and experimental electronic music can sometimes take the place of songwriting in terms of like what makes um, a recorded track interesting to listen to. Yeah. How does that intrigue manifest for you? Uh, you know, using a full modular system and standalone gear like the Octatrack. Yeah, I think that's like the majority of what I've been thinking about in my life for the past like couple of years. So I would say, I think something really awesome about modular is that you can play along with it. It's like live looping a guitar, but you just like set up a sequence and, and like hardware gear kind of lets you like set up sequences and kind of like play along to them and like play like filters and and you know other timbral controls and stuff um kind of like very separately you could like have the same sequence going on the whole time and like play along with it but then like i always found that like doing that with a, a looper i would just get to a point there would always be a point like a few minutes in where i'd be like oh that's stale like, I need to change it. But it's really hard to, like, change a part of a loop. And I think there's something really cool about having, um, you can just, like, reach into the sequence and, like, change it at its source and have it continue to go through all the processing and stuff. Absolutely. And, yeah, you don't necessarily have to abandon 90% of what's going on. You, you just, like, tweak a small component. Exactly, yeah. Which I think you can get really bogged down in, of course. 
I think like having having like a whole ton of MIDI gear running at the same time is like kind of a dream of the synthesizer subreddit that's like very uh you know it's you know in the like gear forums everyone loves to have like a whole rack of synths running at the same time but I feel like there's there's a, a real balance one should take with how much stuff you're adding because it's really easy to like when something can play itself and you don't have to like devote mental energy or dexterity to like continuing a, a musical phrase like you can just layer it forever and I think it often can get really bloated. So the way that I'm understanding what you just described is that the act of songwriting becomes much more like navigating the nooks and crannies of a landscape where the kind of stuff that when it's just a person plus guitar, the stuff that we define as songwriting uh, becomes like the melodic evolution, the expression, how many changes, things like that. But when we're working with something that can take care of itself in that regard, then your focus can kind of free up to these other components. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. I think that that is really cool in some ways, and that's exactly what draws me to hardware electronics. Um, But it's also, I'm really aware of the downfalls of that situation. And I think I'm constantly trying to give myself the least to work with that I can get away with, you know? there's a there's a phrase that I I don't know where it came from but it's it's deeply lodged in my head which is that it's not about how much you can do at once it's about how little you can get away with doing um, which I just I just I don't know I just really love that and it's it's really yeah I'm like super super inspired by artists like Caterina Barbieri she just makes these incredible compositions with just one oscillator basically and some delay and she's made like albums and albums of it and it's so beautiful and like so emotive and and amazing it seems like you really take great joy in your music making i do yeah and uh, there, there are so many times on lines when just in passing, you kind of mention that you're doing something on your porch. Yeah, yeah. So does changing to an environment that isn't, you know, like you don't have access to all the tools all the time, is that part of seeing how little you can get away with? Totally. Yeah, it's very intentional. I've pared down my kind of tools quite a bit in my, in my bedroom studio where I am right now. Um, and, you know... Even then, I try to put everything, I I put everything away all the time, and I just take out the one or two things that I want to use. I think I get really distracted and overwhelmed and, like, stressed out by um, stuff in general, just, like, objects. I, like, legitimately, just as a person, I think I just get, like, stressed out by, like, a lot of stimulation. But, um, yeah, I I absolutely love sitting on my porch. I I sit there almost every single day. just in the morning drinking my coffee or whatever, or just like in the middle of the day or anytime I'm not working, I'm pretty much making music in some way or another, or I'm thinking about music and I, those things come together and it's, it's really, it's just, yeah, super nice to just like, I just feel a lot more at peace outside on my porch (laughs) or other places. And uh, that's, that's super nice. Cause like that kind of facilitates taking fewer things as well. It's like, I got to choose what stuff I'm like lugging outside and like how many power cords I'm bringing in, stuff like that. 
You described your early work as you knew exactly what you wanted to do, and you would just kind of write an album that commits those ideas. Mm-hmm. Do you find that that's still the case? Like while you're looking at your arsenal of tools, trying to figure out what to take on the porch or a road trip or something like that, are you still in that kind of frame of mind of knowing what you want to execute and then you're just like, okay, I need that, that, and that? Actually, no, absolutely not. It's totally different. Yeah, it's totally different, which is really interesting. Um, I, I actually have like absolutely no patience for multi-tracking anymore for some reason, which is something that I'm trying to, trying to like investigate within myself to be like, why can't I just do that thing that I used to do, which had all these great results? Um, these days, it's completely different. Yeah, with, with my modular, with my Octatrack or whatever, I'll often be like, yeah, I kind of want to like write like some like breaky thing. I'll be like, yeah, fast. Like, I don't know, this kind of rhythm would be in my head and I would like mess around with it or something. Or I'll be like, I want to do this big ambient pad, but like that would be the seed of the idea usually. It'd be like, hmm, I kind of want to make like a plinky delay thing. And I'll just be like, hmm, I guess I'll use this, I'll like patch this way, because I always unpatch everything. Um, There have been times when I do have like a melodic idea, um, but that usually comes out of like noodling around. Like I'll like kind of like record something on a little tape track of the OP1 or something and I'd be like, ooh, that's good. I got to revisit that. And then I'll like program it into the modular and expand it from there. Yeah, that sounds like a really healthy approach. Yeah. Like a lot of times I found when I was doing multi-track recording, there was this pressure that I needed to create something that has just like never been done before, you know, because your progress is always visible to you and it's it's calculable. Yeah, yeah. It would just become this strange exercise in in capital E ego, you know, Mm -hmm. which was just driven by the system of tools that was in front of me. Like, like it necessitated this really purposeful songwriting thing that I'm not good at, you know? Yeah. But I love this idea of kind of just attending something and using your strength as a listener to discover the piece. Yes, that's that's totally it. It's absolutely an act of listening. That's exactly what it is. Is is yeah, I, I think I, I felt really similar to you with uh yeah, it can just really feel like a chore. Like I feel like sometimes I can be like, Oh yeah, like I definitely wanna write something and like it'll probably come out best if I multi-track, but it just feels like oh, I just don't like the process. And uh I always wonder how much of that is like baked into me somehow by the synthesizer forums that I spend a lot of time on because a lot of people are like, oh, Dollis for life, like stereo track out to the mixer always, like never multi-track. You know, this is like seriously a thing that like really affects the way people think about stuff. And that's just like the kind of cultural uh, um, narrative. But but yeah, I don't know. I, it's definitely also has a lot of truth to it. And I think the reason I started this, this zbs.fm archive is that I, I was just like sending sketches and stuff. Like I would just call them sketches at first. I would like be noodling and I'd be like, oh, this seems cool. I like record it and then I'd send it to my friends or something. And it just became really hard to keep track of what like where all my music was because I would like send it around on many different platforms and stuff and I couldn't really listen back to it super easily and then I just ended up putting it all on my website and that just for some reason really worked for me I was like oh like okay like it's a radio station you know it's not like a masterpiece album it's just like tune in to whatever Z was doing at this time I guess I assume that gives you more freedom in your explorations. Yeah, I, I feel very unpressured, I would say. 
with what I record. It's pretty pretty freeform. There's a lot of things on there that are just like 20 seconds of a drum loop that I recorded that I just wanted to like share so somebody could sample it or something. But it's just still material, you know? It's like ore or something. It's like raw, unrefined sound that maybe someday I'll come back and turn into something different or somebody else will and uh, or or not and it'll just stand on its own and I think all of those are good outcomes. It's definitely nice to not have it feel like I need to release it and have it be a track with a capital T and like, you know, have a release schedule and stuff and yeah, I don't know. That just that just doesn't vibe. I don't vibe with that. idea that the zbs.fm project is born out of sharing with your friends it totally is yeah yeah uh, could you actually talk a little bit more about the people you keep close to you and and how that informs your musical process yeah it's actually kind of amazing how this happened um in the end of 2019 like shortly before covid um there was a reddit post asking if there were trans and non-binary people on the synthesizer subreddit like anyone at all and a bunch of people responded including me being like yes we're here and uh somehow that turned into a group chat on reddit of just like everyone there and then like we decided to create a discord and i made the discord and uh everyone joined and it like really exploded. <laughs> like it's really like it's been really active since then. Uh, we have like 160 people on, um, which is amazing. And it's yeah, it's all all trans and non-binary electronic artists from all over the world. And I've been really close to them for that whole time. Um, I read every message on that server. It's it's a really amazing place. But yeah, so we we do a whole lot of kind of sharing back and forth and sampling each other's work and talking about stuff. And so most of the time, the stuff I would share is for them. But also, yeah, also lines. Also, you know, my parents, my partner, if they want to hear what I'm doing. It's also, yeah, it's nice to just have it in one place so I can just be like, oh yeah, like here's my, this is where all my music is and always will be. Like just sort by recently uploaded or whatever. I'd love to hear more about your experiences creating intentional spaces for other people. Yeah, I think that I'm in a really fortunate situation of I'm just am naturally not a person who's particularly afraid of judgment. And I think I just, uh, I don't know, that's just kind of always been where I am. And I'm very, very, very thankful of that. It's it's a really, it makes things very easy for me in a lot of ways. Um, so I do feel pretty cool like sharing into, into hostile spaces often. Um, but I really, I think that that's really not true for everyone, obviously. And I have spent a whole ton of time thinking about how to create collaborative art spaces that do feel accessible and healthy for other people kind of through i like want to use this this like kind of like i don't know honestly like amazing superpower i feel like i was born with of like not not particularly being anxious um to create spaces for collaborative art making that feel equitable and useful um 
and yeah, I, I, I feel like I've tried to do a lot of that. I was really active in my school chorus at, at college and uh, we like arranged a lot of songs together and I really feel strongly kind of there's like the jam setting is really unhealthy a lot of the time and it doesn't have to be um and so i i've like tried to like facilitate really like actively accepting and like useful jams and stuff like that um i was also big into uh social dancing like contra dance and blues dance and stuff like that um several years ago and that i think is basically exactly the same thing in my opinion like it's it's collaborative art making um and it's also very scary for people. And I just really want people to experience collaborative art making in a way that feels positive because it's my favorite thing in the whole world. And uh, I think that there's a lot of like anxiety and tension around around sharing and collaborating and like, you know, being embarrassed about your progress or whatever. Um, and uh, yeah, I want to use my position to like make that more accessible. That's like all I want to do, I guess. I love I love singing in harmony. I love I love dancing with people, and uh, there shouldn't be any elitism in jam sessions. Anyone can anyone can participate, and I think that that first hump of like I don't know. This is like my friend in college, my my roommate in college, um, would always like be like, oh, I don't like sing, I don't want to sing, or like I don't want to participate in in music stuff. But he would also like drum on his lap all the time with his hands in this like really subconscious way. But I, I seriously believe that like that is the seed of musicality. Like these like random little rhythms that you come up with, mm. or like this like thing that you hum to yourself or something like. I just remember doing that exact thing when I was little and then like learning how to play music and realizing that that is just the seed of a musical idea that you just need to learn how to refine and like learn how to listen for, I guess. I think everyone can, everyone has those and it's just a matter of like looking for the right thing. Yeah. What do you find is the reason that somebody loses that connection to themselves, to that inherent music? Yeah. I think, uh, people, people need to play like there's so much value in just like indulging whatever your body feels like doing in a moment um i think and like just just playing with something like messing with messing with an idea like drawing it or or humming it or like i don't know anything and i think that that is often like musical practice looks like practicing scales in the collective conscience i think or like, you know, vocal warm-ups or something. And I think that really there needs to be, it needs to be reframed as art exploration or something. Like it's not, I don't know. It's it's just, I, I think dexterity and like practicing scales and stuff is, is useful, but it's the real thing that makes good music, good music or good art at all. Good art is that, yeah, just that it comes from like a, a real like heartfelt idea that you like excavated. How do you honor the free flow of play while also making sure that you're sticking to a practice? I would say it's it's mostly about wanting to play and then playing. I would say that my goal is to satisfy what my kind of whatever subconscious desire I have. I think the reason I make music at a baseline is 
because I make music that I want to hear. And I think it's really, really valuable in itself to just learn how to create the thing that you want to hear. Like, I just, I, I had some realization a number of years ago that like, oh, it's not that I need to like constantly search for the music that someone has made that like satisfies this particular feeling that's like completely impossible to describe. That's like a really frustrating and futile effort. I just should make it. And it's not that hard. Like if one practices creating what they want to hear, just, just straight up, being fully hedonistic, like fully self-indulgent with your music. Like, I think that that really results in really powerful music. And I think that from a, from a slightly higher level, I, I want to make music that I want to share and I want other people to like, and that I want to, I want to talk about. And I think that if you just make the music that you want to make, other people will like it too, you know, or at least be interested in the process and be inspired to make their own music, which is really more important, in my opinion, than them liking my music. It's really, it's really important to let, let oneself kind of just make, make whatever, like just, just, just go for it, you know, <laughs> just, it just not like blind to its quality, right? Not like just record something no matter what, but just let yourself do whatever you want to do. And like, you know, really let yourself create in a totally intuitive way if you can. Yeah. I mean, I guess if we are to put a framing of discipline on this, it, it really is, you know, you're setting time aside for that, you know, that experience. Exactly, yeah. And being honest with yourself about whether or not you're actually engaging in the play or if you're engaging in like, oh, yeah, I just I, I want to make something that other people tell me is good. Um you know, and, and being honest about the reasons why you're choosing one or the other. And that yeah, it, it sounds more like the idea of practice is just commitment and honesty. Yeah, I would I would say that's that's totally it. I think what you said is astute that it is it is really valuable to realize that what you want to do is make something for somebody else. And that can be good too, you know, that can be okay. But I think the like, not only listening to your own music and just like hearing what you like, listening to other people's music, like picking out the things that one likes. I think that like this process of listening, picking out, realizing what one is, is kind of like feeling about your music or like why you're making it or the process of it. That is the thing that when you practice it makes someone a good artist. Like, I think that's what, that's really, that's the core of it, in my opinion, or at least for my own practice. That's what makes me an artist that I like, I guess, which is the whole reason I'm doing it in the first place. Yeah. How do your instruments factor into your process? Kind of going back to what I was saying about things stressing me out earlier, um, I would say that the reason things part of the reason that things stress me out is that I really like things and I want to pay attention to all the things that I have in my sight, I guess. Or at least I want to have an opinion about all the things that I'm seeing. And I think part of that really manifests in me just loving objects and like the experience of, of touching musical instruments and things like that. And I would say the reason that I have the tools that I have came from realizing what kind of music I wanted to make, which is kind of this this particular like lines brand of experimental electronic music. And 
the ways to make that music seemed to me to be in a computer or with hardware and hardware just is really nice to touch and that is enough for me i think <laughs> just to really like touching the objects and like feeling a, like direct connection to uh to the sound that's being created yeah it's really like really spiritual and uh and a beautiful experience i think when you're struck by something that someone else has made, um, what experience do you go through internally? How, how do you carry those things with you? Mm. The kind of things that's, that really strike me tend to be, I can think of a few things, and they all kind of have a similar vibe, I would say, which is that, yeah, like hearing a song that I think is like super groovy or like super nice, I feel like I just always just go into this like, ooh, 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 yes, ooh. I just get like, I just get like really, I'm like, oh, like really deep into it, like really get into the groove of it. Yeah. And I think I like try to like embody this, like this like vibe of what the person was going for. And I just like really fall into it. And that's like such an awesome feeling. Um, and I think the same is true. I'm just thinking back to like, I was trying to think back to recent things that have really like really hit me. And um, there was an incredible sculpture exhibit at Mass Mocha. Um, called How by Liddell Moe, which is now gone, unfortunately. But it was these massive concrete monuments that were very, like, looked extremely weathered, like they'd been at the bottom of the ocean for, like, 20 years or something. Um, and I think a similar thing happened where I was like, wow, like, this is amazing. Like, the amount of emotional impact that these structures have is, is just incredible. And I just would just, like, sit with it, like, totally kind of enraptured. I would say Katerina Barbieri kind of does both of those for me in a way. Um, I would say in, in some part, I when I discovered her, I was like, wow, this is absolutely beautiful, incredible, kind of spooky, captivating music. Mm -hmm. It like expanded my perceptions of what was possible in some way. And I think another thing that, that did that for me is uh, Constantine's performance at Last Flash Crash where he was playing this like, yeah, super minimal, like with a drum thing with like a really tiny modular. Both of those, just two things off the top of my head. Um, I think really, I was like, whoa, like I've always been aware that like, yes, you can make a whole album playing classical guitar or like solo piano, right? And people can like spend many years learning how to articulate their musical thoughts through this medium of like a folk instrument. And seeing people do that with new instruments, like within this this kind of like new medium, right? It's a new set of constraints with new strengths and new weaknesses that I've never seen before. Like Katerina Barbieri does that with the verbose harmonic oscillator. And Constantine was doing that with this little modular system, just making this like incredible, like super evocative sound with this really simple tool. I think that's like so powerful.
also curious because you draw, how does drawing kind of interweave with these ideas that we've been talking about around your musical practice? Yeah, so I make a really particular kind of like primary color and black and white line drawing that's very flat. And um, that, I think, there's a little, it's, it's a similar vibe of like, this is a particular kind of like evocative, abstract um, kind of art I haven't really been able to find elsewhere in the same capacity. And so I wanted to do it myself. But that actually, I think, is a little bit different in my life. Um, it really spawned out of, of me in college. Uh, I got placed into a drawing class just like randomly in my first semester um, when I had never drawn before. But I had like doodled as a kid, right? And just like I had some like random like memories of drawing these little characters and like decorating notebooks and stuff like that. And I kind of created these really simple, bold drawings that were very idea-based and very non-technical. Like they were really about, you know, this is the tools that I have, same as my music making. I want this and I'm, I'm going to just, you know, within the like medium that I have, which is like, you know, these markers and uh, my very limited kind of experience, I'm just going to create these like big, bold shapes because that's what I can do and it's going to represent something in my head. And uh, that feels pretty similar to me writing my first album, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> is, yeah, just uh, just what I had an idea of something to do and I was like, well, this is what I have. I'm just going to do it. So I've kept drawing in that style and eventually I sort of realized at some point that it was pretty, it echoed pretty strongly my early childhood drawings. Um, when I looked back, I was like, wow, I can really see the seed of this, like this kind of idea. And then I, I've like, you know, again, in retrospect, kind of connected that being like, okay, like, yeah, that's because of the same thing I was talking about with like tapping out random rhythms or like humming to oneself. It's like, yeah, like kids draw. And like, I was like five, you know, and I had like made the style of art subconsciously that I would make like, you know, 15 years later. Yeah. Um, and I just think it's really, really cool to think about that. It's just like, makes me like, so it just makes me wonder at, at my life in a really like nice way. Be like, wow, I can't believe that that just happened like that. I don't know. As a last topic, I'd love to hear a bit more about your relationship to code. So I, I have a, a really fun little life thing of I work on my bicycle, which is which is great. And I I hang out with a lot of CS people, like computer science people who ride bikes. And I have this funny situation of like they code for a living and ride bikes for fun. And I ride bikes for a living and code for fun. Um, <laughs> it's just a really fun little dichotomy. Uh, yeah, I uh, my dad is a is a programmer and I have kind of grew up like with uh using scratch and python when i was like a little bean and um it's it's just always been something that i think is cool just not but i didn't particularly like employ it in a creative sense much until kind of got into crow and norns and teletype and yeah so i would say now i have uh it's a lot of fun for me. I think I, I have an amazing position of not having a lot of burnout with coding, and I feel like I just like really enjoy it still, um, which I'm really thankful for. And um, yeah, I'll like 
just spend a while like having a lot of fun like making a crow program that will like emulate the uh, functionality of another module I don't have or something like that. I'll be like, oh, that's really cool. Like, how can I make it in Crow with like a, another input module or something? Uh, and the same for uh, for Norns. Yeah, very much the same for Teletype. It's kind of all this like experience of like, ooh, like usually the ideas, usually it'll, it'll be like, I'll kind of think about, I'll, I'll very often spend time just thinking about like how I could patch something in my system because don't we all? And uh, maybe we don't, maybe that's just me. <laughs> but uh, I, I'll often be like, oh, like I kind of don't have space for that module or like, oh, I kind of want to like try this weird sequencing idea. Like maybe I'll just like write something and, uh, you know, try to like make it. And that's, uh, that's been, that's been a fun experience. I kind of in general am really into just making things. Um, whatever they are, it's nice. I enjoy it. And code is one of those things. I don't feel like code and drawings and music and uh, furniture and anything is so different. It all feels pretty much the same to me. This was Sound and Process, episode 22, with Z. If you enjoyed listening, you should come join the conversation at Lines, located at llllllll.co. Zadels.co. Thank you so much for spending time with us today, and I'll try to not let this much time pass before we get to do it again. Take care. <laughs>